On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today, we continue this installment of the E-Series with the intersection of faith and health in the church, where we will join CEO Trent Cockrum and Reverend Linda Ferguson as they discuss how creating community can foster openness, trust, and a support system for those facing challenging circumstances. This discussion will offer insight into how conversations influenced by faith can address fears and lead to a better understanding of the role of wholeness in our health journey. Linda holds degrees from UNC Chapel Hill, Clemson University, and Duke University. She's an ordained elder in the Western North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church and is the senior pastor of First and St. Luke United Methodist Churches in Asheboro. She has been recognized for her work as a rural church pastor and was most recently awarded the 2021 Ray of Light Award from Boundless Impact, highlighting her leadership in creating inclusive and welcoming congregations. Let's listen in. As Ryan mentioned in his intro, you are uh, the, the, the pastor at um, the First uh, United Methodist Church in Asheboro, which also includes uh, St. Luke's United Methodist Church, also in Asheboro, which I understand is an incredibly diverse congregation. Might you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I am so blessed to be the senior pastor of First Methodist here in Asheboro. And also uh, we joined together with St. Luke United Methodist Church. We work together on racial reconciliation and uh, the good people of First and the good people of St. Luke. We just we really work hard together to be able to experience and share God's love with other people. So, yes, we are um, diverse in uh, that. First is the was the first predominantly white church in Asheboro, and St. Luke was the first predominantly black church in Asheboro. And wow. so we come together to work together to show others and be a witness that two different congregations, uh, racially diverse, can work together. That's fascinating. I think it's particularly timely given sort of the world that we live in today, right? That you have the ability to demonstrate that for as for as different as the two churches were in their sort of racial composition, they were able to come together for, as you cited, a very common purpose. Um, And I think that's a really wonderful thing. You know, it occurs to me that you have a really unique vantage point as we sort of jump into this conversation, as you've seen um, sort of the viewpoint now from a couple of different diverse groups, right? A predominantly white group, a predominantly uh, black group. And, but I suspect that there are a lot of commonalities, right? Oh, absolutely. So St. Luke and First have worked together for many years, but the bishop put us together officially in uh, 2019. So, but we've been working together for, uh, you know, for a long, long time. And yes, there is a lot of commonality because we are all uh, God's children and we all work together and God uh, loves each of us equally. And so we there are a lot of things that we have in common, but we also respect one another and understand one another in different uh, cultural settings. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've had previous guests on the same topic of this intersection of faith and health. 
And we've arrived at this really unique, what I think is unique, probably for you, it is not terribly unique because you work in this every day. Um, This concept of spiritual wholeness of how, you know, um, sort of my spiritual well-being honors yours and yours mine and mine to others and this sort of inextricable interconnectivity that we have with other people. I suspect you've seen that play out in a very real way. Um, as you brought these two very different congregations together. But can you talk a little bit about spiritual wholeness and what it means in the practical setting of where you are? Uh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, spiritual wholeness, wholeness is really understanding that we are created by God to be a whole being. We do not compartmentalize or separate into different sections. We are created as a whole person, our physical, our mental, our spiritual Uh, all those emotional, uh, all of that is together. And so God has created us in this way to be whole beings that these do not operate independently of one another. Okay. The other part of that is God has created us to be in community. We are not created to live totally alone in this life that we are called and created to be able to commune with one another as we commune with God, because God is always at work. And when we are gathered together, we can experience God's presence. I've heard so many people say uh, just recently, since we're coming out of COVID, how important they have, they now realize it is to have the fellowship of other Christians. Sure. You know, I think COVID has taught us a lot, right? It's taught us the things that we yearn for. It's taught us how to adapt differently. It's also taught us that we are, I think, sort of innately um, social beings and that sort of that spiritual wholeness sort of, you know, um, parallels or not parallels, but dovetails really nicely into that construct of of spiritual wholeness. Um, And, you know, so when we think about spiritual wholeness and I think about you know, what we do as an organization and how that relates to the work that you do as a senior pastor um, at uh, First United Methodist in Asheboro and St. Luke's United Methodist in Asheboro. You know, we often think that when people, I think my experience has been that when people find themselves um, in, in a health crisis or, you know, as the recipient of some, you know, not so great health news, right, they often begin to think that perhaps and these are going to be my words, um, that perhaps they're not as, their spirit is, is not as whole as they thought it was, or that, that they are in some way broken. Mm-hmm. But I mean, can you talk about how you see that just in your congregation and how you deal with that and how you work with folks who may be beginning to, you know, deal with that? Mm-hmm. Often when bad news comes, when we get a medical diagnosis or uh, something else is going on in our lives, we sometimes we uh, will either blame ourselves or sometimes we'll blame God. And very common, very natural and normal to do so because we are human. But a lot of times we think of our brokenness. We wonder, what did I do wrong? What is God mad at me? Have I done something in my past or, you know, is this some kind of payback? And and the the question, the answer to that question is uh, always no, that sometimes in this life that we get difficult news and because we are human and 
uh, life happens in ways that sometimes brings about bad news. But we, we do not have all the answers. Uh, only God has those answers. And so trusting God is a hard process and something that we continue to grow in. But the brokenness, uh, you know, God wants us to be whole and God loves us deeply. And so God wants us to live into being whole beings instead of carrying all that baggage and all that guilt and all those things that we sometimes beat ourselves up for, you know, that God wants us to know that God's grace is so deep and so wonderful and so broad and, and that, you know, God's, God loves us so much and wants better for us, wants nothing yeah. good. Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like you're describing sort of this spiritual reconciliation of the soul, right, um, for, for the individual, right, as we begin to search within ourselves for these answers that seem to be otherwise elusive to us because we oftentimes turn to others like yourself as a congregational leader to help us navigate it and I think to help us find a way forward right mm -hmm. yeah so you know the work that hospice does it's just so important because at the end of life we want people to be able to enter into the next phase of life we as Christians of course our death is not the end of life we mm -hmm. we go into the eternal life that we have through Christ and so the work that you all do during with hospice helps us to be able to make the person understand that they are a whole being, that whatever they're worried about, whatever sins that they may be struggling with or they've done in their past, all that is forgiven. And that we really, uh, the goal is to help people to understand and experience God's peace completely. Sure. They're truly a powerful way. Right. You know, Linda, it occurs to me that in, your work as a senior congregational leader and in, in real practice, you're working with people who have a, a variety of different needs. I mean, it could be resource needs. It could be, uh, you know, they, they may have some sort of physical need, maybe like housing or structure or something like that. I mean, can, can you talk a little bit about that and, and how those sort of affect their, their, not just their spiritual well-being, but also their their health well-being as well, from your perspective. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, Jesus calls us to uh, really reach out to the hurting and the broken, and that's what we're called to do. And so being able to help people with those basic needs, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the housing and shelter, clothing, food, all those things, as Matthew 25 tells us to do. But also, there's also the... Um, being able to help people to heal in relationships with God and their relationship with one another, uh, you know, being uh, helping them to understand others to understand that they are worthy of God's love and that God truly accepts them as they are and that God's love can bring them through and help them to be uh, holding. Cause I think what you're saying is that in, I think what you've just described is, God would not see the person as broken in spite of how the person, how broken the person feels. Right? Uh, absolutely. Amen. God looks at us as good and we are created good. We are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God that, you know, God has created us in a way that is nothing but good. And God's nature is that God wants us. And so we, um, when someone is faced to like what you deal with all the time at hospice, uh, you know, with medical um, illness and uh, diagnosis, that is very difficult. 
then being able to say, what does God want me to do? First of all, as pastor, I never give medical advice. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a doctor and uh, I never give medical advice about anything, but I, I sometimes do give theological advice, of course, sure. and help people to God to understand, you know, just asking the questions and having the conversations will help people to understand that God is in this with them, that they are not alone. And that, you know, a lot of times when it comes to the end of life, one of the biggest things is that people are afraid. They don't know how it's going to be physically. They do not know what it's going to be like spiritually and emotionally. And uh, they're also very concerned often about their family members. And so we go through a process of talking about every little fear, everything, every little detail that they need to in order to be able to feel that peace. Mm-hmm. And I suspect for you, it's 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 a unique set of circumstances because some of these folks you've known for a very long span of time, and maybe you've seen them from uh, from from one part of their life to another part of their life and into another time in their life, right? right. Um, and so, you know, what a what an incredibly sacred thing to 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 hold, I think. Uh, I think that's so very important. You know, one of the things that people often um, are fearful of is this notion of suffering. And there is this, there seems to be, um, you know, this, for some people, there seems to be this great consternation related to suffering and him is suffering a penance, you know, as Jesus suffered and a lot of other theological sort of, um, you know, stories that we could talk about. But but as it relates to the real person, I mean, you know, how how does that play out at the congregational level? Um, and then how do you sort of um, artfully help people in that vulnerable state walk through this space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, I think that is so important that we do this in community, that when we suffer, we do not suffer alone. And if we can help one another and be able to share with one another what we're the suffering that we're going through and just being the support there, you know, often when someone uh, passes away here, you know, we do all kinds of things to make sure that they're supported, not just through the death and the funeral, but beyond being able to be there, but being able to do that. And then also talking about the theological questions that come up with suffering, uh, you know, depending on their a person's background, they may have different understandings of what, where is God in this suffering? Why did God cause this? And if God did, and I always have to say, God did not cause your suffering uh, because God is good and God does not want, loves us so much that as United Methodists, we see everything through the lens of grace and not uh, as punitive and not, there are consequences to our sin. Absolutely. That when we act out and do things against God's nature, then we sometimes, you know, bring about suffering for ourselves and for our loved ones. But a lot of suffering that we go through is not because of things that we did, uh, but maybe something someone else did or Mm -hmm. something that, uh, just happened. And so, you know, we, we, um, you know, uh, we live in a broken world and we understand that. And so the suffering is going to come, but we don't suffer alone and God did not cause that suffering. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's also, 
I suspect a lot, a large part of that conversation with a congregant, like in a situation like we just described, um, is part of an entire life review on their part. Most yeah. likely, they're they're thinking about what happened to them when they were six, you know, when they were ten, and when they were mean to the to the person who sat next to them in second or third grade. And I mean, it's a it's you know these are these are really broad sort of life considerations, right? So. Um, and they're they're working through them in a way that uh, enables them, if I'm if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, in a way that allows them to be vulnerable spiritually, but then uh, but that allows them to still find a way forward. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah, I often find that you know when persons at the end of life, they that confession really is uh, you know food for the soul. It truly does. And sometimes I'll just ask the family to step out and let's have some conversations. Uh, and, you know, uh, a lot of times do give theological advice, of course, sure. and help people to God to understand, you know, just asking the questions and having the conversations will help people to understand that God is in this with them, that they are not alone. And that, you know, a lot of times when it comes to the end of life, one of the biggest things is that people are afraid. They mm -hmm. don't know how it's going to be physically. They do not know what it's going to be like spiritually and emotionally. And uh, they're also very concerned often about their family members. And so we go through a process of talking about every little fear, everything, every little detail that they need to in order to be able to feel that peace. Mm -hmm. And I suspect for you, it's 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 a unique set of circumstances because some of these folks you've known for a very long span of time, and maybe you've seen them from uh, from from one part of their life to another part of their life and into another time in their life, right? Uh -huh. um, and so, you know, what a what an incredibly sacred thing to 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 hold, I think. Uh, I think that's so very important. You know, one of the things that people often um, are fearful of is this notion of suffering. Mm. And there is this, there seems to be, um, you know, this, it, for some people, there seems to be this great consternation related to suffering and him is suffering a penance, you know, as Jesus suffered and a lot of other theological sort of, um, you know, stories that we could talk about, but, but as it relates to the real person, I mean, you know, how how does that play out at the congregational level? Um, and then how do you sort of um, artfully help people in that vulnerable state walk through this space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, again, I think that is so important that we do this in community, that when we suffer, we do not suffer alone. And if we can help one another and be able to share with one another what we're the suffering that we're going through and just being the support there, you know, often when someone uh, passes away here, you know, we do all kinds of things to make sure that they are supported, not just through the death and the funeral, but beyond being able to be there, but being able to do that. And then also talking about the theological questions that come up with suffering, uh, you know, depending on their, a person's background, they may have 
different understandings of what, where is God in this suffering? Why did God cause this? And if God did, and I always have to say, God did not cause your suffering uh, because God is good and God does not want, loves us so much that as United Methodists, we see everything through the lens of grace and not uh, as punitive and not, there are consequences to our sin. Absolutely. That when we act out and do things against God's nature, then we sometimes, you know, bring about suffering for ourselves and for our loved ones. But a lot of suffering that we go through is not because of things that we did, uh, but maybe something someone else did or mm -hmm. something that uh, just happened. And so, you know, we, we, um, you know, uh, we live in a broken world and we understand that. And so the suffering's going to come, but we don't suffer alone and God did not cause that suffering. And, and, you know, it's, it's also, I suspect a lot, a large part of that conversation with a congregant, like in a situation like we just described, um, is part of an entire life review on their part, most yeah. likely they're, they're thinking about what happened to them when they were six, you know, when they were 10, and when they were mean to the, to the person who sat next to them in second or third grade. And I mean, it's, a, it's, you know, these are, these are really broad sort of life considerations right so um and they're they're working through them in a way that uh, enables them if i'm if i'm if i'm hearing you correctly in a way that allows them to be vulnerable spiritually but then uh, but that allows them to still find a way forward yes right? absolutely yeah i often find that you know when persons at the end of life they th that confession really is uh you know food for the soul it truly does. And sometimes I'll just ask the family to step out and let's have some conversations. Uh, and, you know, often it's something someone did in college <laughs> or in their, early, you know, their early, uh, their teen or young adulthood. And they're like, you know, I did this terrible thing one night and, you know, it's to help them to feel absolved by that, to know that God forgives them and that God had, you know, God's love is so much greater than that one thing they did. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion, the intersection of faith and health in the church. Join us next time as we conclude this conversation with Trent and Linda about how conversations influenced by faith can address fears and lead to a better understanding of the role of wholeness in our health journey. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.